All right, we're going to come to the final uh, characteristic or virtue that we've been looking at in our series. And I've, I'm going to ask Steve and Will to read two different passages of Scripture. The first one are on your notes. And by the way, I don't know for sure who printed the notes, but they did a good job for me because I can read them for the first time in history. And uh, so they're, they're up there. And uh, so Steve will read uh, from 1 John chapter 3, but he'll be reading the first two verses. Your notes only say verse 1, but it's actually verse 2 also. And then there's another verse from 2 Peter that he's going to read. Read for us if you would, Steve. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now we're going to 2 Peter chapter 1, and you listen to these words, if you will. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, the Second Peter passage is the one we started, and uh, in the translation he read was the word goodness. Now, that's the Greek word that is also, in other versions, translated virtue. And it's that way in the King James. And so what it says is this, uh, and besides this, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue. And virtue has to do with, we could call it character, but each virtue that we've talked about is really more an aspect of character than it is the full character uh, itself. But notice, if you will, 2 Peter that was read a moment ago, chapter 1, said, add to your faith, that is, when you first come to faith, be sure that you add to that, you would assume that the next word would be knowledge, but it wasn't. The next word was character or goodness or virtue. And then add to your virtue, knowledge. Now what that simply means is this. A person who talks about their knowledge of God and the knowledge of the Word of God is really not saying much unless they have the character, the virtue of the truth of that built into their own life. And um, I didn't intend to say this to you, but I just prayed a while ago. I have for years prayed before I would teach the Scripture that the Lord would always keep me remind, reminded of the fact or mindful of the fact that he isn't interested in me as a preacher or teacher of the word apart from the fact that he's interested in me personally walking in the truth that I'll be teaching. Now, that's not to say that we're successful all the time. Goodness, no. In fact, we miss the mark we fail a lot of times in walking in the truth that we know. But what the scripture says is, be diligent in adding to your faith, that is your faith in Christ, the faith once delivered to the saints, be sure to add to your faith 
virtue and a virtue knowledge. Now, we've already looked at uh, several uh, characteristics of the character that we've talked about or the virtue uh, that we're interested in. We've looked at, for instance, courage. That was the second message in the series. Then we looked at honesty. And then we looked at diligence because this says give all diligence to adding to your faith uh, and so on. So we looked at diligence. Then we looked last time at reverence. And now this morning we'll be looking at the final word, which is love. And in verse 5, uh, 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 in verse 7 rather of 2 Peter 1, it says add to brotherly kindness charity. And that's always been a weak word to me in the King James and other version because the word charity, you know, conjures up in our mind uh, United Kids Fund or, uh, you know, some kind of charity that's going. But the word charity in English 200 years ago meant exactly what the Greek meant when it said love. It was a quality of love. They use the word charity. That's removed from us in the 21st century. Is that the century we're in? 20, 21st. Yeah, 21st century. Uh, it's far removed from the word charity in our mind. But now we come to the most significant. You remember in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul said on one occasion, uh, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is not faith. The greatest of these is not hope. The greatest of these is which? Love. love. That's right. So we've come this morning to look at the matter of love. In fact, I've uh, entitled your study, Living Life Lavished with Love. Now, the word lavished means generous or extravagant in quality or in quantity, I mean. Extravagant in quantity. And uh, we're going to be looking at living a life that is lavished in love. Now, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Um, the King James says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. The Revised Standard Version says, See what manner of love. The word that is translated by King James, Behold, and by the Revised, uh, the uh, in, uh, New International Version C is a Greek word which means to intensely look at, to discover something new and fresh. In other words, it's almost could be entitled um, stop and stare for a moment. That's what John is doing, is saying. Let's just stop and stare for a moment at the love that the Father has given to us. Have you ever been caught staring? <laughs> I, I'm serious. Have you, ever, have you ever looked out at someone, and you don't know why, your mind's thinking about something or whatever, but uh, your eyes fasten on the eyes of someone, and they look at you, oh, he's staring at me. And then they look at you, and then you realize, oh, I'm staring at him. Let me give you a little secret. Don't ever stop the instant you see them looking and realize what you're doing. I mean, don't ever go, oh, you know, and duck your head. Let me give you a good way to do that. If I'm caught staring at somebody, 
I've learned that it's good to kind of look to the left, then look to the right, and then even look above them if you want to, because in their mind, they begin to think, well, who in the world is he looking at? And so all at once, it gets you off the, off the uh, stage of having been staring. Now, I'm just trying to get a laugh. You didn't laugh too loud, but anyway, uh, that, that's what really the Greek language means. Stop and stare. Now, we're going to look to the right and to the left and even a little up. But we're going to look this morning at uh, what it means to be lavished in the love of God. Now, we're going to do this because um, his love is so absolutely powerful, it's unbelievable. I could give you anecdotes, stories, illustrations, whatever you want to call them. Illustration after illustration of the love of God capturing the lives of people. I will never forget this couple in the church I pastored in Wichita Falls 106 years ago, a long time ago. And there was a couple living together. They weren't married at the time, but they were coming. And of course, it didn't matter to me. I, when people come in, I take them where they are. I'm not interested in finding out if they're uh, morally qualified to walk into a building. That's ridiculous. I mean, you know, we take people where they are. So I learned to, you know, enjoy their presence. And we just had fun with them. And uh, I'd always, I'm a hugger. Now, some of you don't know that. Some of you guys do. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a hugger. That's just me, you know. And I don't ask anybody else to be. And when I come up to somebody that's rigid and, you know, real solid and don't, they don't know how to bend, I just hug them lightly. But in fact, my brother-in-law, Mary's older brother, is not a hugger. And he's always been a little bit, uh, uh, you know, shaming of me uh, hugging so much. Well, I just decided, well, I'm not going back off from hugging Ronnie. So every time I'd see Ronnie, I'd hug him. Every time. I mean, I'd reach stiff as a board, but I'd hug him. <laughs> we went down to, to Austin to see him not too long ago when he was sick, and we were getting ready to leave, and I'd heard, loaded the car and all that, and we were getting ready to go, and he said, Paul, you leaving without hugging me? I said, no, Ronnie, I wouldn't think of it. I went up. Now, he didn't bend, but he got his hug. You, you understand. And so um, what, what I'm saying is this. The love of God is so powerful. This couple in the church where I was pastoring began to discover the love of God. But let me tell you about this couple. They were living together. In fact, I cannot even describe to you, I wouldn't want to, that's their story to tell, the depths of depravity that they had fallen into. And I don't mean it was light. Even in this day, it would not be considered light. I'll never forget. They'd come to know the Lord. Uh, they'd been loved on by that little church. I was their pastor, and I had the privilege of baptizing them. I'll never forget taking them to see a doctor or some appointment they had, and his car wasn't running, so I took them. And they were talking about what God had done in their life. They were so happy. And they both began to weep because the love of God would embrace them as they were, where they were. Now, the good thing is the love of God never leaves you there. He works in you to bring about change and so on. But aren't we all glad of that? But the fact is 
It's the love of God that is so astounding uh, to people. Uh, it clears up our past. Whatever your past record, the love of God covers it. When you trust Jesus, whatever the record behind you, it's covered by the blood of Christ. He stabilizes our presence. He makes our present where we can face it no matter what comes. And sometimes we're really grateful for that. And of course, he's assigned to us a future so that one of these days we're going to stand before him. Who knows when, as we've seen in evidence of late. It can come at any moment. But the fact is, to die is gain for the one who knows the love of God. Now, why? Because there is no death in dying for the Christian. Did you hear me? Amen. There is no death in dying for the Christian. When the Christian faces dying, they move immediately into life. Life more than they've ever lived it. Now, how does all that fit with where we are? I don't know. That's supernatural. That's eternal. That's in the providence and the purposes of God. I can't describe it to you. The book of Revelation has to use illustrations that are sometimes hard to understand themselves. But we just don't. But in the presence of the Lord, they lift up their eyes. And they're more alive than they've ever been before. Amen. That's what the love of God does. It's powerful. But it is also... Uh, uh, Unique. I didn't know what love was when I was growing up. Now, I had a mother and a father. Now, my home was unstable. I've told you this before, but my parents divorced three times. Never married anybody else. They always remarried. They couldn't live with each other. They couldn't live without each other. They were divorced three times. You know. And uh, my dad was a confirmed alcoholic when he was 17. They got married when he was 17. She was 14. My oldest sister was born one year later. My mother was 15 when my oldest sister was born. And it was the home of an alcoholic. Now, he came to know the Lord before his death, and I'm grateful for that. But the point I'm making is simply this. I didn't know what love was. Now, they loved me the best they knew how. Do you understand that? They didn't grow up knowing anything about love either. My goodness, I, I'd use the word love. I heard it in country and western music, and those songs always tell the truth. <laughs> uh, that's being facetious. You do know that. Now, listen, we don't know what love is. It's so unique. We, we've never experienced it. It's greater than a parent's love. As strong as a parent's love can be, it's greater than that. It's deeper than a spouse's love. Mary and I have been together 63 years two weeks ago. Woo. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean. Yeah. But it is kind of worth celebrating. But do you know the love of God? Our love for each other as weak and stumbling as that is sometimes. Now, I've got it all together, but Mary's still working on how, <laughs> you know. Sorry about not making Yeah, sense. yeah. <laughs> the love of God's bigger than any parent's love, bigger than any spouse's love. It's an out-of-this-world kind of love. You will not find it in this world apart from the love of God, which is otherworldly, eternal in its very nature. 
And that's why we tell people about Jesus, because he's the biggest expression of the love of God. And so we want to talk about what it means to be lavished upon with that love. And by the way, I love 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 John chapter 3. Just before this, he's talked about the fact that we've been made the children of God. We do not know what, it will, what we will be like, but we are the sons of God. We're family. You know what this means? Now listen to me. I used to hear God call my father. Well, I already had one. And I, and I never did have a good thing going with him. I wasn't sure I wanted another one. You, are you understanding what I'm saying? But when I came to know the love of God in, in the lavish way it's poured into our lives, to say that God the Father is my Father, I'm telling you, I still get a chill go up my spine when I say that. God is my Father. Now, not like the one I grew up with, not like the one that abused so much, but he's the father that I had never really known. Now, you know what that means also is that Jesus is my elder brother. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables me to call my father Papa. It's a diminutive form of the Greek word, which means uh, father. It, in other words, it's like I have a, an intimate relationship with a father and a brother in the spirit of Christ. That's what it means to have family. I don't know how many only kids we've got here. Tony Lennox, our son-in-law, was an only child, or is an only child. And uh, I asked him one time, Tony, what's the greatest thing about knowing the Lord? He said, well, forgiveness of sin, obviously, but just to know that I have a big family now. Now that's the quality of love that we're talking about. So what we're going to have to do is stop and stare just a little bit this morning at that kind of love because the scripture says it has been lavished upon us. That's the word. It means that it's been generously, uh, quantitatively poured out upon us. That's the love of God. Now, I'm going to talk about four E's this morning to help us kind of stare a little bit at the love of God. And the first one is what I'm calling uh, the fact that God's love equalizes us. Now, think about it for a moment. The love of God equalizes us. Now, you do know, don't you, that we're all different? I mean, there's some, there some people in this room that are rich. I don't want anybody to raise your hand. No bragging. There are people in this room that are rich. Then there are others in this room that are poor. Oh, no, wait, I don't want... But it's, you know, we have the rich, we have the poor. Uh, we have people... Uh, who are educated, have diplomas on the wall, not just a high school or not even just a college, but a after that and an after that. And I mean, you see their wall and you know the intellect is sharp. And then there are some of us that have to stumble through the English language. 
I mean, I, I do a lot of Google searches, and most of it is to find out which verb goes with which subject. And I have to check that out all the time. I'm exaggerating that just a little bit. But Mary is an English teacher. She taught English in college. Now, how would you like to be married 63 years to somebody that knows English that well when you stumble with it yourself? Well, it's fun because I need all the help I can get. Some people are intelligent. Some people are not so intelligent. Uh, then there are some people that are Democrats. No raising of your hands. Some people are Democrats. Some people are Republicans. Some people are independents. And by the way, that's only America, and we haven't talked about race or ethnicity yet. You see how different we are? But did you know, as kingdom kids, that's who we are. When you know Jesus, you're one of his kingdom kids, okay? The scripture says his love equalizes us. Now, I don't mean that we're all the same as far as spiritual gifts are concerned or as far as the exercising of responsibilities are concerned. Those will be, but here's what I mean by the love of God equalizing us. Do you know that the love of God is no greater for Billy Graham than it is for the pizza delivery boy who loves Jesus and sings gospel songs along the way as he's delivering pizza to someone's house. Billy Graham is not more loved than the pizza delivery boy. Now, do you know what that means? Look out over this audience. I don't care where you came from. I don't care where you're going to. I don't care what you don't have or do have. The fact is, if you know Jesus Christ by faith as your Lord and Savior, you're in the family of God. He's your father. Jesus is your elder brother. I'm your brother too. And the Holy Spirit enables us to know how much God loves us. And that's true for every single person in this room who knows Jesus. Now, what I'd like to do sometime is stop right here and invite anybody who doesn't know Jesus let me tell you about him so you can, in a simple childlike faith, it's not some prayer that you have to state correctly. It's in your heart of hearts being willing to say, Lord, I don't even know if this is true or not, but something inside me wants it if it is. And you know what the Father says? Okay, forgiven. You see what I'm saying? So, the love of God equalizes us. The love of God uh, endures for us. You do know, don't you, that nobody can live love, <clears throat> live life, <clears throat> excuse me, as it is intended to be lived without knowing somebody loves me. We have to know somebody loves me. Criminologists say that most crimes are committed by people who are just trying to find someone to love them. Most immorality is committed by people who are looking for love in all the wrong places. 
We as human beings were created with this, this thing inside us. We need to know somebody loves us. You see? And that's ongoing, by the way. It's like food, the need for food. You have an appetite. You eat lunch today at noon. That's great. Eat lunch. But I can guarantee you that lunch will not satisfy you until lunch tomorrow. You're going to need something because our need for food, our appetite is an ongoing thing. Ladies and gentlemen, our need to know somebody loves me is an ongoing thing too. And if you ever try to find it in your spouse, you're looking in the wrong place. You see, you don't try to find your love need met in your spouse. You find that met in the Lord Jesus himself, the person who has brought us into the family of God. We find it in the love of God. Then we can give love to our spouse. Being married is not a matter of getting love. It's a matter of giving love to each other. And what's so wonderful is when you mutually know, hey, you may fail me, you may mess up, I'll forgive you, all that kind of stuff, but I know God loves me and I want to love you the same way he loves me. That's what love is all about, you see? And it's an ongoing thing. His love endures. It'll never stop. Doesn't matter what trial you face. Doesn't matter what failure you face, even if it's your failure. Even if it's your bad It'll never stop. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Let's just say it simply. Nothing. Not anything. Somebody says, oh, then I can just go out and I can do anything I want to do. Well, we do that anyway, don't we? (laughs) Go out and do whatever we want to do. See, the love of God doesn't give us a capacity to do anything we want to do. The love of God begins to change us on the inside. So we begin to love to do what he intends for us to do in response, thanksgiving to the love that he's given us. His love endures. So his love equalizes us, his love endures for us, and his love emancipates us. What does it mean to be emancipated? Um, Minorities know, particularly all those years ago when Abraham Lincoln established the uh, uh, Emancipation Act um, and that's a tragedy that had to come to that but we've been emancipated too you say well how is this well let me show you how first of all we've been emancipated from the penalty of sin there is a penalty the wages of sin the end result of sin is death But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus who loves us and died for us. So there is a penalty. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our penalty upon himself. Okay? He's our stand-in, so to speak. And when we trust him, our penalty is wiped away. In fact, Colossians 4 says it this way. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What charges were against you? Every charge of the violated law and will of God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
Thou shalt honor the father and thy mother. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not, all the Ten Commandments. But it's bigger than that. Because Jesus came on the scene and said, I say to you that if a man lusts after a woman, he's guilty already. Do you understand my record? I don't want you to know about. I could tell you all the stories, and I've done it. I, I lock my car. I don't care where I am, I lock it. Why? Because there's going to be some 10, 12-year-old around like I was. I've stolen more things from unlocked cars than you can imagine in southwest Oklahoma City. You know, never caught, never jailed for it, but I was a thief. I stole. I have that record. I don't even like telling about it, but the fact is, it's true. Just because the courts of law never identified me as a thief, I was a thief. Are you following me? But when I came to Jesus, I was emancipated from that penalty because that penalty was nailed to the cross when Jesus was nailed there. We are also emancipated from the power of sin. Before we're converted, it's like we're in handcuffs. We have chains wrapped around us. We have the ball and chain on our leg. We are enslaved, is the way the scripture calls it, to sin and even to Satan and his kingdom. But we're talking about personal sin here. We're enslaved to it. And when Jesus died on the cross and uh, we trust him as our Lord and Savior, those chains are broken. They fall away. You see, we are emancipated. We're set Free. And by the way, somebody said, well, I still am so bound up. Uh, even though I've trusted Christ, I'm still so bound up. All right, now listen carefully to what I want to say to you. Always remember that as a kingdom kid, that's who we are. What the scripture says about us is true. We have been not only have we uh, 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 the love of God made us equal, but it has delivered us and we're emancipated because of it. And that means we are, we have been set free. So some Christians said, oh, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I can't, I cannot do that. I can't love them. I can't, whatever. Do you know when Christians say I can't? Basically what we're saying, and I have to say we, because I'm leader of the class in this group. What we're really saying is, I won't. Scripture said, husbands, love your wives. I can't love her. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I won't. If I learn to love her as Christ loved me. Now, Mary's easy to love. Not all wives are easy. I wouldn't know, but I've heard testimonies. <laughs> okay? Now, watch. The issue is not whether they're easy to love or not. The issue is not whether you can or not. We know you can. The issue is whether you choose to or not. Now, sometimes love is tough. Love doesn't make you a doormat where somebody violates your person or anything else. Like that. That's what the law is established for. Man, if a husband ever abuses a wife or if a wife ever abuses a husband, do you understand that the law should get involved in that? Even for believers. Why? 
because the law has been established for the punishment of the guilty and for the uh, safety of the innocent. So don't ever buy into this thing that doesn't mean you can't stand on truth and honesty. Of course you can. That's love, by the way. That's real love. In fact, when we began to see my dad set free, by the way, what time is it? Ten after. Ten after. Uh, tell me when it's four more minutes, okay? And I was, by the way, looking at Mary, even if somebody else thought I was staring at them. Okay. So, the, okay, I'm going to stop here and go on, all right? We're not going to get through. So the love of God equalizes. The love of God endures for us. The love of God emancipates us, emancipates us, not just from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. And that's when we're internally made able to say, I choose to love, knowing I'm loved of the Father. I choose to love, even if they're about as unlovely as anything I've ever seen. Now, what is love? It's giving a person what they need without expecting anything in return. Sometimes what they need is a good um, verbal shock up the side of the face. Every once in a while, Mary and I, in our marriage, we've learned, you know, sometimes I'm the one who's always talking and getting things straightened up. And once in a while, she'll just stop me and say, now listen, big boy. And she'll, I call it, she slapped me upside the face. Only it's never physical. It's just real good. You understand? That's love. That's love. But we're not only emancipated from the penalty and the power of sin, one day we will be emancipated from the presence of sin. So there's coming a day when sin will no longer be. There's coming a time when time will no longer be. Eternity will be the only thing real. And there will be no presence of sin in that time. What's it going to be like? I don't know. But I do know this. We will be ourselves. We will be redeemed human beings. We will never lose our identity. All of this is for my study and revelation for myself. We will know each other as we're known. But it'll be in love instead of all the negative stuff that the fall has caused. Now, um, love elevates us, and I don't have time to get in this, from a, an old nature. It elevates us to a new nature. And by the way, that new nature is in Christ, being made do, new daily. Am I new every way I'm going to be new ultimately? No. I have to be renewed, the scripture said, daily. I have to be renewed daily. But his love is what brings that about. When I know how much he loves me. And then the wonderful thing is, and I'm done. We get to then watch, learn how, here we go, to love other people the same way he loves us. You see, we're incapable of that. It's otherworldly. It's supernatural. 
supernatural. But it's the product of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. So how do you show love? By being to other people who you have come to understand by staring and gazing at how much you're loved to the Father. I could go on and talk about how much he's forgiven us, how much he has uh, accepted us. My love is giving love and acceptance and, and so on. That's what love is all about. Now, we've stared a little bit at the love of God. We look a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, a little bit above. But what I hope is you'll just keep staring at it for the rest of your life. I didn't get to do justice for my notes. Um, and I'm not going to do it next time. I'm going to start a new series. Next Sunday, I'll be here. We're going to start a new series with uh, Steve's permission. I've already, he's already granted that to me uh, about Hebrews 11. And we're going to start with Abel and talk about what it means to live by faith. And we're going to look biographical messages for my next, uh, you know, 18, 20 months of supply. Whatever I do when Steve is gone, it'll be from Hebrews 11. You have been a gracious group. Any word from anybody? Good, good, but we don't have time. Hug five necks, shake five hands as you leave, and uh, if you don't do that, you lose your salvation. <laughs>